You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. The scripture reading this morning is from Exodus 4, verse 1 to 23. In the book of Exodus, we can read how the Lord delivered his people out of the house of slavery, out of Egypt, and Exodus is a foreshadowing of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who came to this earth, assumed human nature, to lead us out of the slavery to sin and death and set us free in the freedom of God's children. And we read in Exodus 4 how God claims his right on Israel as his firstborn son. In chapter 3, God called Moses at the burning bush and he told him to go to Egypt. And that continues in chapter 4. And we read Exodus 4, verse 1 to 23. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was leprous, like snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored, like the rest of his flesh. And the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, O Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth, and as if you were gone to him. But take this staff in your hand, so you can perform miraculous signs with it. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me go back to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, 
Go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refused to let him go. So I will kill your firstborn son. The text for the preaching of God's word this morning is from Exodus 4, verse 21 to 23. The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go, so he may worship me. But you refused to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. Beloved brothers and sisters, congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. When our Lord Jesus Christ came on this earth, he did not come in wealth, in prosperity. He was not born in a palace. He was born in a simple house, even in a stable of a house in Bethlehem, and he was laid in a manger. And then soon thereafter, we can read from the Bible that he had to flee from the persecution of Herod. He had to go to Egypt with his parents. Matthew 2, verse 15, we can read about that. And then we read there that with that, the prophecy was fulfilled this prophecy from Hosea, the prophecy that God called his son from Egypt. Out of Egypt I have called my son. This morning in our text we read that God called Israel as his firstborn son from Egypt. And that is the foreshadowing of this flight of our Lord Jesus to Egypt. Just like God called Israel out of Egypt to be his firstborn son, to serve him, so God called his son Jesus Christ out of Egypt, back out of Egypt, to go to Palestine to serve him there. And we see in much more that the book of Exodus is a foreshadowing of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ who led us out of the slavery to sin and Satan and how he led, how he's leading us through the desert to the land Canaan, the heavenly Canaan, the new Jerusalem which we may expect. If you read, for instance, the book of Revelation, which speaks about the complete fulfillment of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is preparing a place for us in the New Jerusalem, then we see that much in Revelation is connected with what we can read in Exodus. If you really study 
the book of Revelation, with the knowledge of Exodus, you will see many, many connections. So it is right to say that the book of Revelation is in fact the Exodus of the New Testament. And the more you study the book of Exodus, the more you will discover that in so much, not only in, in what we read in our text, but in so much more, it is a foreshadowing of the glorious work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today we will have a look at our text where it speaks about Israel as God's firstborn son, whom he called out of Egypt. And I proclaim to you the word of God as it comes to us in our text, summarized under this theme, God's claim on Israel as his firstborn son, in the first place, is proclaimed by Moses, second, rejected by Pharaoh, third, maintained by God. God's claim on Israel as his firstborn son, in the first place, proclaimed by Moses. Moses is traveling back to Egypt. In the beginning of this chapter, we read about the signs which God told Moses to do before Pharaoh. One of the signs was that his staff became a serpent. And in verse 20, we read that his staff is now being called even God's staff. This is the staff which will show to Pharaoh God's might and authority. The power of God which will ultimately break Pharaoh and all his might. And this staff is a symbol for the authority with which Moses will perform the signs which God told him to do. Moses is sent by God and he speaks for God. And the staff is a sign of this. The signs he will do before Pharaoh show the authority which he received from God to speak to Pharaoh and to come with God's command. Later in the New Testament, when Christ sends his apostles into the world to preach the gospel and to speak to the world on his behalf, then he also shows to the world that his apostles speak with authority which he had given to them by the signs and the wonders that accompanied their preaching. Matthew 28 and Mark 16. Christ was with them always. Well, that is what we also see here with Moses. Moses speaks to Pharaoh as God's messenger. And God shows through the signs that Moses had authority to do so. And God told Moses to make known to Pharaoh that Israel is God's firstborn son. Pharaoh should know that Israel is not just a nation of slaves whom Pharaoh can use to increase his own glory. But Israel is the people chosen by God to be his people for his glory and his honor. Pharaoh's oppression of this people is not just sin against his people, but it is oppressing the people of the Most High, the Almighty, the God of heaven and earth. And this God now sends his messenger to Pharaoh to make his claim on his people known to Pharaoh. It is already centuries ago that God had called the ancestor of this people, Abraham, and God foretold to Abraham that from this nation, from him, this nation would come. 
as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the grains of sand on the seashore. And that from the descendants of Abram, someone would come whom all the families of the earth, in whom all the families of the earth will be blessed. So by claiming Israel as his firstborn son, God put in fact, God puts a claim on the entire world. Israel is chosen by God as the firstborn among the nations. But it will not stop with Israel. For now God claims Israel, but later on God will put a claim on all the earth in accordance with his promise to Abraham. God's plan with Israel must serve to bring salvation to the entire world, to the entire mankind. And that is what it is all about in the confrontation with Pharaoh. It is all about God's work of salvation. It is all about his glory. And when Pharaoh resists God, then with that he makes himself the representative of all and everyone who resists God, and with that of Satan, the great enemy and adversary who resists God in everything. Pharaoh is not just one of the many kings in the Middle East in those days, but God is preparing the stage here now for one of the great and important battles in which Satan tries to resist God and hinder him in his plan with the world, and in which God shows his majesty and his power to this world. It is one of those moments in the history of salvation where the continuation of God's work of salvation is at stake. As we can read about in it in Revelation 12. For Revelation 12, there we read about the woman and the dragon. The dragon trying to devour the child of the woman who was, a, was about to give birth. And it summarizes the whole situation. That is the desire of Satan here in Exodus 4 to prevent the coming of the promised Messiah. Pharaoh considered himself to be the son of the highest god of the Egyptians. He himself made that claim. But now God makes it known to Pharaoh that that people of slaves is also the son of God, the son of the highest gods. And God claims his people for himself. God claims not the ruler of the world, not Pharaoh, to be his son. The mightiest man on earth in those days. And not he may claim this title, son of God, for himself. No, it is this people of slaves that bears the title, God's firstborn son. It is not Pharaoh whom this people will serve, but God. Moses had to tell Pharaoh, let my son go that he may serve me. And with this, it also becomes clear that being the firstborn son of God is not in the first place a position of many privileges, but it is a matter of serving. We live in a time in which it is all about rights and privileges, 
in this time it is very popular to say that we are God's children because and often we think that that gives us a privileged position. If we are God's children then everything is okay. And often this is being used as if God is going to serve us, his children, and he will help us and, and give us all that we think we need. But that is not what we see here in our text. This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. Yes, sure, it is a comfort to know that we are God's children. And we do know that God is a good God, full of love for his children. But that is not what we must, that is not what must be first when we speak about being God's children. It is first of all that God receives glory and honor. And that is how the Bible speaks about it time and again. It's in Psalm 127, where it compares the sons as as arrows in the hand of a warrior, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So Israel is God's firstborn son. He must serve so that God may be glorified. And God calls his son out of Egypt. He claims his firstborn son so that his son may worship him. Not as slaves, but as sons, as children. But nevertheless, that he may serve God so that God will be glorified and God receive all honor and praise. At the same time, the Exodus does show us that serving God is, is not at the same level as serving Pharaoh, as if we go from the one master to the other. Where serving Pharaoh in, in Egypt is slavery, is a harsh and cruel life, there serving God is serving him as God's children. It is a service that is done out of love for God who first came to them with his love. And that is what God makes clear in the ten words of the covenant which he gives to his people at Mount Sinai later after the exodus out of Egypt. There he makes himself known to them as the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he tells them in ten commandments how they shall serve him as his firstborn son. Serving the Lord, that is a service that is done out of love. As we heard this morning, the ten commandments... In Deuteronomy 5, they are followed in Deuteronomy 6 with that command which Moses said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. So serving God is done out of love. As a child loves his father, so the people of God shall serve God in love for him as their father. And that shows us the difference between a life as children of God and a life as children of this world. Serve the Lord with gladness. Or be slaves of this world and the ruler of this world. And through Christ we may live in the glorious freedom of the children of God. And in that glorious freedom we may serve God. Christ 
who really is the one and only Son of God. We are children of God by adoption, as the Catechism says. Jesus Christ is the true Son of God. Israel and Egypt is a foreshadowing of Christ, about whom the prophet Hosea prophesies in Hosea 11 verse 1, that God called his Son out of Egypt. And the prophecy is fulfilled in Matthew 2 verse 15, where Joseph and Mary had to flee to Egypt with Jesus, so that the prophecy would be fulfilled, out of Egypt I have called my Son. In the second place, we see that God's claim on Israel as his firstborn son is rejected by Pharaoh. God told Moses that he would harden the heart of Pharaoh so that he will not let the people go. At the same time, it is also Pharaoh who hardened his heart. When we read through Exodus about the ten plagues coming over Egypt, then we read on the one hand that it says that that the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, as the Lord had said. If you look at 7 verse 22, after the first plague, there we read, But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. And also after the third plague in 8 verse 19, the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord said. And again, in the fifth plague, 9 verse 7, Pharaoh sent men to investigate and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died. Yet his heart was unyielding and he would not let the people go. But then on the other hand, we also see that Pharaoh himself hardened his heart. These texts are more in a passive form, and you can still say it was God who was hardening, hardening his heart. But on the other hand, we also read that Pharaoh hardened his heart in, for instance, 8 verse 15. There we read, but when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. And then also after the fourth plague in 8 verse 32, but this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. So we see that it is Pharaoh who decided to resist God and that he did not want to listen to God. But at the same time, it is God who decided to use Pharaoh for his purpose. And we can read about it in, in Romans 9 verse 17. In Romans 9 to 11, God, uh, Paul is speaking about election. And then in 9 verse 17, and there he says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. So the hardening of the heart of Pharaoh was the result of his sin and disobedience of his refusal to acknowledge God as God. But then it is also the will of God that he hardens himself so that God will show his power. 
And we can say that faith is our responsibility. We are called to believe. We have to make the decision to believe. But once we do believe, then we know that it is God's work in us. We cannot understand how this works. We cannot reconcile these two, the command to believe and the work of the Holy Spirit in us. But we must believe that this is how God works. And that is also with the hardening of the heart of Pharaoh. We must realize that Pharaoh had already made up his mind that he was the son of a god, one of the Egyptian gods, and that he had the right to lay claim on God's people. It is already his sin. And then it is God who hardens him in his sin. At the same time, we know that everything is part of God's plan to glorify his great name and show his power to the entire world. So when God speaks to Moses that he will harden the heart of Pharaoh, that is also a message to Moses. Whatever Pharaoh will do and however he will respond, Moses must know that it is all planned by God. It is his work when Pharaoh refuses. And Moses must not be disappointed. Because the outcome of this struggle is also from God. And it will be a great and wonderful outcome. This formidable adversary, this enemy of God, the representative of Satan, will be crushed in a glorious victory which God will give to his people. And this is part of the great battle between the woman and the serpent in Genesis 3 verse 15. Between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. The great battle in which finally the seed of the woman will crush the head of Satan. And this exodus will show that it goes through a fierce struggle, but that the outcome is certain. And that is the encouragement which we may receive from this text as well, brothers and sisters. God shows us how he acted for his people. He makes himself known to us as the God who is and who was and who is to come. The God who is always the same. He worked the great exodus for his people out of Egypt. He also sent his son to achieve the great exodus out of the slavery to sin and Satan and to crush the head of Satan. The greatest struggle and the fiercest battle ever fought. And now God's people can be certain that whatever the world does, and in whatever way Satan will attack the church, he will fail, because God will fulfill his plan. It is not our work. We human beings can set ourselves all kinds of lofty goals. We must do this and we must do that. We must reach so many people with the gospel and we must achieve, uh, we must achieve this milestone in our lifetime. But that is not what God teaches us. God teaches us that He is working in this world to call people to faith and repentance through the preaching of His word but also to harden the hearts of many who do not believe. That's also the result of the preaching. Either people believe it and are saved, or they harden their hearts. God claims the whole world for himself. 
through the preaching of the word all over the earth, God's message comes to this world. All the world is his. Make all nations to Christ's disciples. All nations. The New Testament does not speak about the firstborn anymore. About all the nations. The firstborn stands for the entire mankind. In the Old Testament, God laid claim on the people of Israel, his chosen nation. After he called his own son Jesus out of Egypt, Matthew 2, and he came to fulfill his work of salvation in the great exodus, now God claims the entire world. But then we also see that part of the world will be hardened in their resolve to resist God. They want to be their own gods. And when they reject God, then the preaching of God's word and God's spirit will work in them and harden their hearts so that in the end, God will show his power to them and to all creation. That is what we can read about in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is in fact the book of Exodus of the uh, of the New Testament. It shows a fierce and terrible battle between God's people and the forces of evil, Satan and the world. It shows throughout the book of Revelation how Christ, the Son of God, gathers, defends and preserves for himself a church chosen to everlasting life. And it also shows how the plagues from God are coming over this world which resists God and Christ and want to destroy and kill God's people. And then in the end we can read how Christ the Lamb is victorious and how the people of God will enter the new Jerusalem to serve God there in perfection and to celebrate the wedding feast of the Lamb. In the third place we see that God's claim on Israel as his firstborn son is maintained by God. When Pharaoh refuses to listen to Moses and to obey God, then God does not give up his claim on Israel. Moses has to warn Pharaoh that if he does not let God's firstborn son go, then God will not only free his firstborn son out of the power of Pharaoh, but then God will also claim the firstborn of Pharaoh and of Egypt. God's firstborn son must be dedicated to God. Later on, when Israel went out of Egypt and was in a desert, God gave them the law of the firstborn. The firstborn of all that was born in their possession, from all their animals, had to be dedicated to God. Even the firstborn of their sons had to be given to God. But then God also gave rules to redeem their own sons so that they did not need to be killed and sacrificed. The firstborn is symbolic for the whole creation. It all belongs to God and should be given back to God. Israel could redeem their firstborn children and they did not have to die because later Christ came and took their place. He did die and he now is the firstborn As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, the first fruits among those who have fallen asleep. First fruits and firstborn. That also means that many more will follow. And now it is a time that God is preparing the whole world for his harvest. In that time we live, brothers and sisters. 
when God shows his majesty to Pharaoh and to Egypt in the ten plagues, then it is the love of God for his people that drives him. Pharaoh and Egypt denied him his firstborn son. And now God will take his firstborn son by force. No one and nothing will be able to resist God. And that is what the world must know. That is what Pharaoh must know. Although he may deny the existence of God, as we read in chapter 5, verse 2, Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? that I should obey him and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Isn't that what it comes down to time and again, brothers and sisters? Every time when God comes to this world with his claim, many respond, who is the Lord? I do not know the Lord. Nowadays, many don't believe that God exists, or that the God of the Bible does not exist. And if there is a God, then God is love and accepts us as we are. And there is no need to worry because God will always help us. But the God who revealed himself to us in his son, Jesus Christ, who comes to us with his love, he also comes to this world with his wrath if we reject his claim on us. God shows his love to us as his children. God calls us to be his people so that we will serve him, so that we will worship him. That is what this world forgets when it speaks about God. This world wants a God who serves them, a God made in their own image so that it may serve them. But God claims his people. God says, let my son go that he may serve me, that he may worship me. When Pharaoh refuses to let God's son go, then God's judgment comes over him. During the first nine plagues, God does not come with a final judgment yet. Still, God does not kill Pharaoh's and Egypt's firstborn son, as he said he would do. God is patient, and Pharaoh will get a chance to repent during the first nine plagues. But then finally, after all those warnings, then God comes with a punishment. God claims Pharaoh's firstborn son and the firstborn sons of all Egypt. And there was mourning and darkness in Egypt at night, while for God's people it brought the morning of a new day and a glorious day. Again, that's what we also see in the book of Revelation. The great exodus in which God's plagues go over the world. First, we read in Revelation that a quarter of the world is being hit by God's plagues. But the world does not listen. Then a third of the world is affected. It's getting worse. But still the world doesn't listen. Revelation shows that God's warnings are increasing in intensity. It becomes harder and harder for the world to deny that God is warning them. But at the same time, we see that the hearts of the world are becoming harder and harder, so that they do deny God. And that will end then in a final plague, the coming of God's final judgment. Like in Egypt, the tenth plague is God's final judgment, meant death and misery to Egypt, but joy Glory and freedom for God's people. So it will be at the final judgment. 
but then even stronger. Not just the firstborns. Where God in Egypt claimed Israel as his firstborn son. That he will now claim his people all over the earth. From all nations and all tongues and all peoples. He claims the entire world for him. And where Egypt lost their firstborn, they're at the final judgment. Not just the firstborn, but all those who resist God will die eternal death. There will be no place for them anymore in this creation. Then God will make all things new. God is preparing this world for this great day. His people will go out with joy and singing, not silently as people who escaped from slavery. No, his enemies will be defeated. Not a Paris victory in which the outcome could just as well have gone the other way, but in a resounding defeat of Satan and all his allies and a glorious victory of God's people. And then the great church victorious shall be the church at rest. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.